Hello there. Welcome to Spark of Rebellion, the weekly Star Wars show that brings you news, views, a little bit of banter, and when there's something worth reviewing, the weekly reviews of aforementioned things that are worth reviewing, which leads us to today's episode where we are going to give our reviews of Andor Episode 7. I'm one of your hosts, Mr. Mark Asquith, and joining me in the minds of Kessel, the rookie Wookie, the bowcaster with the mocaster. It is, of course, Mr. Gary Elliott. All right, dude? I love that one. I'm good. You haven't used that in ages. I love it. Well, uh, pull them off the, the shelf now and again. Yeah. You know what it's like. The bowcaster with the mo. I just love it. Too much of a good thing a lot of the time, isn't it? You gotta be careful. Yeah. Otherwise, it becomes the norm and it's not very special. Comes the norm. Yeah. Hey, since last we spoke, did you do? Yeah, you were here last week, which I kind of respect because in between us speaking, you've been to Toronto, which mm. is mental, really. Yeah, it's a bit weird isn't isn't it? It, when you say it like that, as we record on a weekly basis. Yeah, I was there for, um, I think I was there for about four and a half days in the end. And I think I was there for roughly four days, six hours, 12 minutes, and 18 seconds, thanks to the delay. Yeah, exactly that. It's good on, good this spot on, good. Sp- uh, and it was the thing is, when you say that to people, I went to Toronto just for a few days. Normally, you get the reaction of, um, "That's a long way to go, isn't it?" It's oh, like, isn't no. it? It's like no, it's not. It's like it's 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 a it's very similar to going to New York for a long weekend. And on the way yeah. back, it's even it's only like six hours, twenty minutes on the way back or something. It's nothing. I didn't even have any jet lag, so I like so, that. Bounce in, bounce out. Yeah. So I mean, what would James Bond do? I mean. He'd nip over there, do the mission, come back, have a cup of tea or a whiskey, whatever. Wouldn't think anything of it. a lot more so. back in the 60s as well, wouldn't he? Oh. Can't do any of that stuff anymore. Well, I was there with my wife, mate, so I couldn't have, uh, well. couldn't have indulged in any of, you know. Yeah, not on telly anyway, like James Bond does. Well. He does it all over TV, doesn't he? Does he not even know he's on telly? But you're right about the Toronto uh, four-day thing, though. It's like you go to Vegas Friday to Monday, everyone's like, oh, Vegas, oh, and then, like, you go to Toronto. What do you do that for? That's a long way. It's just weird, isn't it? It's got, it is weird. Yeah, you're right. They've got totally different, yeah. like, perceptions of that. Did you do any uh, Star Wars stuff while you are out there? See any celebs? Because it's a city, obviously. Uh, not so much, no. Um, did see some film out there. So Toronto is very, very popular for filming buckets of TV. Not so much movies these days, but... Pretty much any TV show that you've seen that's American in the last decade, whatever, chances are it's been filmed in Toronto or Vancouver, one of the two. So um, you generally see um, sort of TV um, people knocking about rather than I'll tell you what who was um, who we saw one year was um, Stephen Amell because they filmed. Oh, do you know what I was about to say? That's where uh, that's where Arrow was filmed, like for a little bit, and then it was Vancouver mm. and Toronto and stuff. So mm. yeah, yeah, that's badass, good. man. Yeah, he was known for um, for frequenting some of the comic book shops around Toronto and stuff. So, yeah, I saw him once. He was at a distance, obviously. Didn't want to touch fists, you know, in front of everyone to show off or anything. But, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. So, no, no Star Wars celebs anyway. I think they stick to, um, well, in the case of Andor, it's like, you know, Scotland, Ireland, whatever. 
anyone else on the Lucas camp. It's all California, isn't it? Sunshine. California, yeah. Vineyards, you know, Lucas Ranch, all that. Mm. So, yeah, nothing in terms... I didn't even go to a comic book shop, mate. I didn't have a chance to uh, to do that. So, yeah. Didn't have nice time stuff. in the end. There. Didn't want to. So Didn't want to. Just chilled out. Got me some burger and some pancakes. Well, uh, oh mate, oh, I had this wicked burger. Yeah. While I was there, yeah, we we went to this. Um, there's a sports bar called Real Sports in Toronto. And, is that any uh, sports bar? Is it a real sports bar? It's a real, real right. sports bar. Right. That's good. good. And uh, it's got a big sort of cinema size screen in there. And there was um, a hockey game on there as well. So it's like the place was packed. Got some food. Had this amazing chicken burger, and some chicken wings and some fries. I felt like such a fat ass afterwards, but you got to do Good it. Go in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm in for that, man. That's part of the reason that I like going, uh, I want to say stateside, because you were in Toronto, obviously, but, you know, stateside, it's uh, it's where it's at. It is where it's at. And uh, I've actually not done anything to Star Wars this week, you know, apart from watch Ando. I've been off the old Star Wars books for a little while. been doing a bit of golfy books, and I actually started watching again Lord of the Rings, the movies. Oh, the movies. Um, extended or normal? Well, I couldn't get the extended Fellowship of the Ring, but I have got the extended uh, Two Towers and Return of the King, but I couldn't get the Fellowship because I I wanted to watch it then and there. I was like, I've been thinking about this for ages. I've got some time. I want to watch this thing right now. The only place I could get it was like Sky Cinema UHD, and it just didn't have the extended. But the others, I have got the extended one. So I was like, ah, but it's all right. It's all right. And then I read this article, and we'll, uh, this will segue nicely into Star Wars because they do these articles about Star Wars right <laughs> so I was like should I watch the extended ones do you know what I've not seen them for such a long time I'm going to google it just to see whether it's worth you know doing the extended ones so it was like article five ways the extended ones are better and five ways that they are worse right every way that they were better was like more story about this or such and such like the, the ways that they were better uh, were, were really good. The ways that they were worse, five of them, were just the same thing with different words. So, number one, <laughs> pacing. And then this paragraph about, oh, the pacing, because it's an extended version, the pacing's all off, like, oh, because it's, it's longer, so the pacing's weird. Number two, they're longer. That's not, it's not the same thing. And then number three, they're slower. Like, People get paid for this shit. And it just, it, that made, did make me think of Star Wars because that's like oh, probably 50% of the Star Wars articles out there that you get are like that, aren't they? All that kind of clickbait crap baffles me. Yeah, it's crazy, that. Yeah. And there's no downside to watching the extended versions either because you're getting, the only downside is... They're guess, longer. <laughs> <laughs> other than the investment in time, a.k.a. they're longer... Um, is that if you want to watch them as a as a marathon sort of thing, then you have to block out. It's not like watching Beverly Hills Cop. You can smash that <laughs> out. Because you're always marathoning Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> you can smash that out. Like, what a- trilogy shall I watch? <laughs> okay, we've got Godfather. We can maybe smash through like a, a Marvel Captain America series. <laughs> we could do, I don't know, any of the Indiana Jones ones apart from the last one. Um, even do Lord of the Rings. Do you know what? Let's do Beverly Hills Cop. When he puts the banana up the exhaust, that'll get him. That'll get him. The banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> Although I do love him. Oh, I do yeah. love him. 
Oh, There's anyway, a new, one, a new one landing right next year. We digress. Yeah, well, Eddie Murphy's yeah. sort of getting back into it, isn't he? He's uh, they're doing a few of them. Apparently, they're doing a twin sequel as well called Triplets, and Eddie Murphy's going to be the other one. Bit obvious, but you know, mm. whatever, whatever, whatever works. Yeah, got to pay the child support. Male B. <sighs> God, some, yeah, quite literally scary spice to him. Quite literally. Oh, you bastard. <gasps> He promised to treat me like a complete bastard. For anyone else wondering what the hell we're doing there, please go look at (laughs) Bo Selector. All right, on to Star Wars. That is the first 12 minutes. All done and finished. (laughs) Now on to Star Wars. Hey, look, we're going to get into this Andor Episode 7 review and a very quick recap in just a second. But if you do want to get involved, if you want to let us know what you thought of Andor Episode 7, let us know at sparkerebellion.com forward slash Twitter. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Were you indifferent about it? What did you think about it, geezer? Sparkerrebellion.com slash Twitter. And if you want to get some merch, get yourself some merchandise over at sparkerrebellion.com slash Patreon. You can join the crew from about a quid per month. <laughs> I was going to say 70 pence per month. You know the old exchange rates, but it is nearer a quid these days, isn't it? <laughs> Market oh. crash, topical, lol, hashtags. Nah, mm. all it is. Don't get that in Star Wars. Unless there's been a big heist and 80 mm. million credits has gone missing. Do you see what I did there? That nice. is where we left off episode six of Andor. Episode seven. I'll, I'll, I'll get to... Uh, I'll, I suppose I'll get to the feelings on this in a second, but a very, very quick recap. We find... Cassian, who plays a much smaller part in this than, than and we'll get to this, than, than I think everyone expected, but he goes back off to where his, uh, his surrogate mother, his sort of foster mother, his adopted mother is living back over to the planet that we found him on on day one. We get a lot of time on Coruscant. We get the ISB finally getting their ass into gear and some decent scenes within the ISB, which we'll get to in a little while, including the introduction of one that's correct. One, Yularen, who we see of later Death Star, Death Fame, uh, but has also popped up in Rebels and the Clone Wars. And this episode was quite interesting because primarily we saw a lot of Mon Mothma. We saw a lot of what was going on with her. The introduction of this, this person that she wanted to bring in, sort of to the Rebellion, sort of not. And we spent a lot of time getting under the skin of the nuance of this little rebellion. And we also got, you remember the Bobby, the old copper from the first few episodes, he gets an office job and uh, his boss boss likes him because he seems to agree with his politics. So it's sort of a weird little episode. It was one of those episodes where it, I don't think it did what anyone expected, but I think it was better for it. I I don't know about you, dude, but uh, we'll get to the detail of it all, I'm sure, in a second, but... My initial thoughts on this, like the second that I'd finished watching it, were like, oh, that was slow. And then almost instantly I started thinking, but actually it was far better for that. It didn't do what we all expected. It didn't introduce who we expected. There was no big gunfights. There was no big bloody laser sword fights. There was nothing really of any action compared to the last episode, but it was such, it was a very well-written and multi-layered episode. There was a lot of discovery in this episode, which, you know, we're, we're halfway through the season. I don't know about you, dude, but I, I was, I'm used to like uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, eight episodes or whatever it was, and thinking, oh my God, we're episode seven. Why is it not kicked off yet? But actually, we, this is the first of the second half 
of episodes. So, very bizarre episode, but uh, not much seemed to happen, but absolutely shed loads went on, if that makes any sense whatsoever. And to cap it off, right at the end, Andor gets himself a girlfriend, we'll talk through all the details of this, gets himself a girlfriend, then gets arrested and sentenced to six years in an imperial prison for doing nothing at all. There's a lot of, I don't know, it feels like a little bit of social commentary going on with this as well. So just a, a very interesting multi-layered episode, dude. So we'll get to some of the details. I want to talk about his adoptive mother and, and, and some of the, the inspiration for her and, and, and the way that um, the actions inspired and the way that this, this raid um, impacted the galaxy at large. But first and foremost, dude, what did you think of it and what's your score out of 10? I thought it was an episode of two feelings, really. So, firstly, I thought it was very slow, like you said. And afterwards, I thought, mm, but it was actually really freaking good. Really good. And I can see that, I can just see that there's going to be so many, so many Star Wars fans that will watch this and be like, I can't cope with this. Like, this feels like a... I don't know. I think I mentioned it in episode one when we did that one to three review. It feels like... This is like the West Wing in space kind of thing. You know, it's very um, political and um, a lot of backbiting. You know, all that stuff going on at the ISB and and all that. So I can see... I can definitely see why a lot of Star Wars fans are going to be like, oh, it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel Star Wars. We haven't got the... We haven't got the John Williams little you know ethereal bit and there's no magic and all that so i can i can see that but for me dude i i, I love the whole it, it feels like you're witnessing the rebellion like properly because it's only ever been hinted at in, in the films and stuff like that and i think the closest we ever got was rogue one but that was really just a that was just a, a little snapshot of that run up to the to the whole um you know the, the the destruction of the first Death Star, so it really, really feels like it's 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 on that point where you have two opposing opinions that really that shone through, that really stuck with me afterwards, which made me feel like it was a bit of two feelings really. So initially feeling, yeah, it was a little bit slow. The other side of it was um, when you had that conversation with Mon Mothma and Rayo in his shop. You know when. She reveals that the drive has been planted there by the, I think it's the ISB, and and they have to put on a smiley face even though they're talking. You can see that she's absolutely petrified. She's like, it was going in this direction, but now you've pulled this shit. Now it's like, it's blown wide open. So there's no way of this. This is like the point of no return, right? So everything's going to kick off from here. And that really hit home for me. It's like, this is that one point where the galaxy now knows that the rebellions hitting back because I think before that it was just uh, like these little tiny things that happened and like whispers and Chinese whispers throughout everywhere. It was like, oh, the rebellion this, you know, nobody, certainly nobody has a face to the rebellion yet still, but it's certainly still a, oh yeah, have you heard about this thing? But you know, nothing concrete. Now that the raid has happened and they've seemingly got away with it. Now it's like the cat's out the bag you can't put it back in the bag. So that really stuck with me. So overall, I thought it was a really good, such a well-written episode, a bit like episodes one and two, where you had that kind of 
setup story and the build up to what was going to come. Now you feel like it's another bit of a love, a bit of setup to something that's going to come in the in the latter half of it. So I don't think I'm going to score it as strongly as the other ones. I think I'm going to give this a six and a half. But that's not a reflection of I think it's a poor episode. I just don't think it's as good as the ones we've seen. But it did have some real meaty sort of background lore, I guess, around the early rebellion. So yeah. I think it was I thought it was a solid episode. I just I wished a part of me wished that we'd a time jump a little bit more. Because this seems to still follow on, you know, almost immediately after that raid has happened and so on. I feel like there are some scenes that we didn't really need to to see, but then you know, because it, it was a given to me that the ISB would, you know, step up everything and start really um, going nuts with stuff in terms of surveillance and, you know, tracking down what's going on. And, you know, the, the, the punishment around law is, you know, a lot more stricter these days. So you can tell it's that was going to happen anyway. We didn't really need to see all that. Um, and then the other scene that I was not expecting, which we'll come on to, is when... Um, um, Claire goes to meet Vel and essentially says, you know, Cassian's not, we can't have him running around basically. So you need to go and take him out. So that surprised me. So yeah, dude, six and a half for me. What about you? Nice. Nice. Yeah. Do you know, I was originally going there and I I was, I was sort of, I felt like I was at risk of doing what a lot of people did with The Last Jedi, which is here's what I thought was going to happen. None of it happened. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a bit pissed. And then the more I stopped and thought about it, the more I just thought it's just really well developed and well written. And when I stepped back from that, almost an expectation, I, I could see it for what it was and, and, and the writing being so good. And just, I see this as, you know, the first the first episode of the second half of the series and just everything's changed. The, just the pivots in each one of the storylines have been huge. So I'm actually going to go higher. I'm going to go an eight on this one. Because, the other way. Okay. Yeah, th- and, and th- there were a couple of reasons for that. The first one was um, the, the prequel era gets that much development because it is underpinned by a sound story. And we've said it before, as opposed to like the sequel trilogy, which is better acted, better dialogue in most of the places. You know, everything is, is is arguably better, but it's surface level, it's superficial. And I think this is where Andor has been really well written. It fits into that prequel era feel, but you can see where it's going. You can see that it exists in this same universe as A New Hope. And so that's the first thing. The second thing was, I thought there were some really clever bits in this. I thought there was the the the, the idea that Cassian thought he could just go back to his life, but actually the thing that he did inspired the entire, well, through extrapolation, the entire galaxy as represented by his adoptive mother. You know, right, we can leave. We've got the means. I got paid for that job that I did that you don't need to know about. We can now leave. Now I'm not going to leave. You know, they killed your foster dad, adoptive father, you know, and now I feel like, there's inspiration for me. And he, you know, he did that. He, he created that and he was sort of the pivotal piece of that. Um, and there were a couple of other clever little bits in there that I really thought were, were well put together. Plus the big twist, which we'll get to the, 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 
the the clever bit of just the way the ISB are painted as this real smart CIA-esque organisation. But it took someone to do something on their own initiative, which it feels like the Empire would normally punish. But they didn't. They sort of applauded it. And what they discovered was really clever. The fact that actually it was our own rigidity that was causing the rebels to be able to you know, we hit in this sector and we use what we've taken in the other sector and you'll never track it because it's just a fall. It's a flaw in the paperwork and the way that our system's set up. And I just thought they didn't need, they don't, they don't need to do that. Like the general fan doesn't really care about that. They want space battles. They want laser fights. They want, so I just, I felt like it just, it did, it did more for Star Wars. Um... Disney's Star Wars credibility because of the quality of the writing. And then obviously the big, we think that Mon Mothman and, and, and this Luthan character are sort of on par, which they are. And you think they're in cahoots, which they are. She's trying to open up this new banking line through, through accessing the funds from her family, uh, which was a really nice scene when that came around. But actually, the big twist that Luthan is probably more aligned with Saw Gerrera's extremists but his logic was very sound. You know, this idea, almost like Leia said in A New Hope, I think I've seen it online where that's sort of been cited, where more you tighten the grip, the more you'll lose, the more you'll lose it, to paraphrase, you know, the more that you squeeze, the, 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 the slippier they get. Um, because they went to such extremes. And, and pe so people noticed it. And I just thought that was really clever. Some of the, the language that Luthan used, you know, the... They're doing it in such small... The Empire's oppressing us in such small amounts that we don't see it. I just thought it was really well written. So yeah, that's why I'm going with the eight, man, because I thought there was a lot in that. And it took... That's probably taken me two days to get to that. I didn't initially think about that. And it's just mm -hmm. I've been thinking about it, you know, have a shower and think about, did I like that? Did I not like it? Because my gut was like, ah, that's a six, man, because nothing happened. But mm -hmm. it was, no, it, yeah, there was so much to it, dude. Yeah. And I think that's why I've, I've given it that score, because... There were three, there were three really, well, four really good scenes inside of a whole episode, but I feel like we've got much better to come. Mm. Um, and I, I can't that. really, I can't really, I can't really go higher than that based on just some, some scenes where, although they were very good and I do agree with you, by the way, I think, um, I think it's so well written. Like, um, who's, who was the writer on this one? Tony Gilroy still, was it? Mm -hmm. I think it is, isn't it? Oh no. Um, Stephen Schiff, apparently. Schiff, it was yeah, it was so um, it was so well written in a way that you could you could empathize empathize and relate immediately to Mon Mothma and to um, Luthen as well because she even says it. You're right; it was so clever the language used because she even says. Um, in that conversation that she has with the, the guy at the party, is it Colmer, that this is not the Mon Mothma that, you know, everybody sees at face value. Like there's a different me. There's a there's somebody. And you can tell that she's kind of on that, on the ledge. She she kind of wants to, she kind of wants to tell him the situation, but she can't. And she doesn't really want to commit yet because mm. this is the first time that they're speaking about it. And she's still a bit like, you know, I I think I can trust this guy. He's like, you know, an old friend, mm. all that stuff. Um, and uh, 
and they're putting on a really brave i thought that was so well acted as well not just written really but when they're was. walking around the party and she's like smile because you know because the things that she's telling him are obviously have huge consequences further down the line so his face changes to like holy shit but then she's like no 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 smile you know people can't you know tweak that we're you know i'm giving you some crap information or you know whatever so that scene the scene um that she has with with luthan in his shop again the same thing much you know grand you know like big smiley faces and laughing and stuff to the outside but inside she's like dude what have you done and that was surprising to me. I don't know about you, but I was always under the impression that she knew that he was sort of like planning that mission to raid the garrison. For some Same. reason, I just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just assumed that the two of them were, you know, in cahoots fairly close. Um, especially because... Sorry to interrupt, but especially never, because she was saying, I can't get my hands on any money. Hmm. You know, it, yeah. it was all lined up for that, wasn't it? That's And I think that's down to the writing on, you know, it was well written... To, to, to throw us off there. And I think that's that's the beauty of that little reveal where you're like, actually, this guy's a bit of a... Yeah. He's, yeah. And the, 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 the cool... that Both of their logic is sound. Both of their logic is sound, you know. And it's that's, I think, is the nuance of this series is that it's almost like that Lost Stars book where you get... You get just the different perspectives and you can see why everyone thinks they're doing the right thing, Empire or not. And it's just, that's really well done. But I agree, man. That scene where she was sort of giving it away to her confidant and, and, and trying to access those finances, because they're both trying to finance rebellion in different ways, Luton and Mothma. And, you know, you've got to think there's probably an element of plausible deniability there. You know, if you're going to lead this foundation, you should, probably shouldn't know any of this shit. Mm. Because, you, you, number one, safer for you. But number two, if you don't know anything, it sort of doesn't matter what they do. You, you can't betray it by accident, you know? Um, yeah. which leads me yeah. to, to an interesting point because I think that query has been solved that we had from the first couple of episodes where it was we assumed it was separatists on the ship but it, sorry we assumed it was republic on the ship but it had a separatist logo or it was said that mm -hmm. it was republic but it was a separatist logo that's what it was I think that might have been solved just through a couple of subtle lines um, so it, it's clear that the Empire controls the Holonet because that's we saw that in the last mm -hmm. Senate episode because of all the, everyone's iPad popped up and we're like, you know, what's going on? Um, and Mon Mothma said, to paraphrase, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but something along the lines of everyone else knows me as someone trying to help the Separatists out or Separatist lover or whatever, Separatist aid. So it looks as if the Empire has basically said the Empire... We are the Republic, but it's now a dictatorship, you know, for want of a better word, you know, this all, all this empire is the Republic. Like that's that. And everyone else are separatists now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, basically when this separatist ship has landed mm. with the separatist logo, you know, it's been explained away that, that it's, you, they've almost switched the sides a little bit, if that makes any sense. So it looks as if, you know, they believe they've shot down uh, the Republic because they're just told that, but actually they've got the Separatist logo that they don't really talk about, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, and it's, it's probably because, you know, the genuine Republic is, you know, Mothma's got all the ships or, you know, whatever. There's, there's still a pile of ships out there, like the Jedi cruisers and all that sort. They're still knocking around somewhere. So it's just, 
it's almost like the explanation from the empire, that propaganda is just filtering in. So it's like, mm -hmm. actually, no, no, no. We'll call them the Republic, but it's the separatist logo. So blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's, it's that confusion for people, which I really quite like, because that just, I think that just brings in that element of, um, as much as you don't want the empire, if you can't see any atrocities going on, if you can't see any oppression going on, and you just want a bit of peaceful rule, 90% of the galaxy is just going to go for it. You know, so yeah. again, it's quite an interesting layer. It is, yeah. You make a good point because there were some, that's the, the whole basis for the rebellion in the first place, right? Is that it takes a certain person to experience something firsthand to know that the empire is no good. Whereas the rest of the galaxy, they might see like stormtroopers knocking about, walking through the streets or whatever, but they're not actually, for the most part, they're not actually doing anything. You know, they're just, you know, it's just occupation, right? So, which leads me onto that, um, onto a scene that we see in a flashback, I think we know with the clone troopers. You know, the dudes in the street that are sort of speaking up and giving them some stick. And then um, before you know it, it's like, yeah, we know what's coming. And then, you know, you see them hanging in the street and stuff. So little pockets of stuff like that, people tend to want to forget because it's like, this is the, the standard we've set. Like you don't, you don't mess with us sort of thing. You don't mess with us. We don't mess with you. It's all good. Um, so how do you, how do you, how do you think the ISB plays into that then? Because we have these, it's the first time that we've seen stormtroopers in this one. And like I said, they're not really doing anything. They're just kind mm -hmm. of, you know, policing to a degree and keeping, you know, this invisible thing. It's just, you know, um, this is the kind of invisible layer of tension, I guess, that they're keeping under control. Um, whereas the ISB, they're more like, well, screw that. You know, we need to put in place something that's really going to shit people up and keep order because we can't have... It almost feels like the Emperor, because one of the guys did say, didn't he? Like, I've spoken to the Emperor earlier today. That was funny yeah. to me. That was funny. That was like, uh, Admiral yeah. Yularen, like, you know, just dropped him a text. It, yeah, that's what, I, that's what it sounded like, isn't it? Yeah, I've spoken to the boss earlier. And, um, yeah, we need to do this stuff. So, so how do you feel about the ISB then cranking it up another notch? Because everybody thinks that the people that normally do that are the stormtroopers, the garrisons, you know, all those sorts of dudes. Whereas, really, it's now sort of commonplace that the ISB have, have ratcheted up another level. Because we see, like, Cassian at the end, he's like, yeah, it's normally it's just like six months, you'll be all right. You know, you'll probably be out in three. But now it's like six years. That's harsh. That yeah. is it's an interesting one because it's um, the ISB anytime you've ever seen them have been just notorious for being just absolute bastards you know so it's it's I think up until this point the scale of this heist I think is supposed to be the 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 pivotal point not just in Andor but in the Star Wars law for the Emperor saying do you know what this is the beginning of the end of the Senate and the actual old Republic, you know, because the Republic as it exists really are that delegation of 2000, Mon Mothma, Bail Organa, they're the actual Republic, you know, they're branded as separatists, hence this confusion with the plane that, sorry, the uh, the ship that crashes on, on Andor's planet back in the day. So I, I think this is the catalyst for everything within the Star Wars universe for the Emperor to start saying, do you know what, actually, 
we've been doing all this Jedi hunting, we've been doing all this bad shit over here, we've been getting all these kyber crystals, we've been taking all these kids to be stormtroopers. But all those things are sort of like urban legends. And I think it's, it, this, this heist, because of the scale of it, feels like it's that catalyst for everything. Now, because the ISB, to me, have always been painted as these complete assholes that are really quite extreme. You know, you've seen it in Rebels, like, oh shit, this guy's an ISB guy. And he reports to Yularen. You know, and you do, you do not want to get on the wrong side of him. And the same in any of the books. You know, the ISB are bad, 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 bad. But it feels up until this point that they were sort of just counterintelligence, evidence-based, gather, 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 sort of get your reports and just make sure everything's all right. But now, shit, we need to do something. And we are going to be the people that turn into bastards. Because actually, mm. you know, probably above and around us, you've got the moths, you know, running the sectors. And and probably, you know, so if you take someone like, uh, you know, the, the, the character that Doc Brown plays, you know, he probably in his sector reports next, you know, either adjacent or directly to the moth of that sector. So you got to think that that's probably when they start to get their power. It feels like that's what, you know, because of this catalyst, like, oh shit, let's give these guys more power, which is then the thing that shows the oppression to everyone. So I'm actually, I'm quite interested by it because that it almost feels like that's the mistake that leads to the Empire's eventual undoing is that, if if you just left 90% of normal people alone and no one would care because they're still eating, they've still got a bit, you know, everyone's sort of doing all right. The class system remains and so on and so forth. And theoretically, the status quo sort of remains, albeit under the rule of someone that, unless you're really unlucky, you don't have any interaction with. Whereas now it's, like I said, it's flipped, it's kicked off and just, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's Aladdin, isn't it? You know, it steals some bread and gets chucked down a well or whatever happens in Aladdin, you know, and then Robin Williams comes and bails him out. So it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime anymore, which is the thing that gets people, you know, we've seen it, you know, it, it gets Cassian's uh, adopted mom, you know, it, it gets her interested in re rebelling, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. she stays there to fight. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's interesting. I think the ISB have been pretty quiet throughout everything that we've seen, apart from a little bit in Rebels with Mutton Chops. Um, Bugger Grips. Yep. Bugger Grips. <laughs> and the, um, obviously Yularen in a few other things, Rebels and I think Clone Wars, but he was back in the Republic days and so it didn't really count. Um, and then obviously in the Death Star, but they, they've sort of had this reputation in literature that we've not, seen the casual fan hasn't seen that and i think that's the catalyst and like i said it feels to me like that event is the the total you know just the entire flipping of the switch in the entire star wars canon of this rebellion exists you know it's maybe the first time that people start to notice it which i think is quite interesting yeah yeah and it's um it, it's the same with me that in terms of how i think about the isb in the little bits, like you said, the little snippets that we've seen in other media up to now. I think it's a wise choice as well to use them because it seems like if you were to just have the moths go after these, you know, very early stage rebels or go after Cassian himself or investigate, you know, whoever's behind um, this raid on the garrison, it would have felt like out of sorts, if you like, like the balance would have been too, you know. So I think the ISB are perfectly placed within 
within the story to act out that stuff. Um, and you're yeah, you're right. The 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 punishment doesn't fit the crime anymore, which is why we saw Cassian getting um, uh, very you know he's shocked. He's like, what the hell? Like, wasn't doing anything anyway. Um, but did you recognise? Remember months and months ago when we did a, a new story, and it was like um, the film set has been spotted down at the coast somewhere, and it was this um, seaside town. I can't remember where it was. Yeah, and we were like, oh yeah, that'd make a call, whatever it was. You know, just imagination at the time. Yeah, that'd make a call, whatever in Andor. And we saw it in episode. You remember towards the end when yeah. Cassian goes off on a bit of a vacay, hooks up with um, you know, a little fine filly, and he's yeah. out walking and. Um, it's all of those things, you know. I can't remember where they filmed it, but we it looks like on it, it was Barrow, so like um, up in this up in the lake. Oh no, uh, yeah, it looks like Barrow, just Cleveland. Um, yeah, Something it is. Like it that. is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it, did you also notice as well the fact that they're walking through Coruscant, <clears throat> and then where where the, the the two meet, where she says you got you got to get rid of Cassian, which like like you said, that was a huge surprise. I was quite pleased with that little twist like they're walking through this sort of uber metropolis right just absolute mega metropolis and they're meeting like a 1960s council officers <laughs> it's got all the like pebble dashed pillars and all mm. the like shitty 1960s multi-story car park concrete it's just it's like they've just gone right we're in coruscant yeah every coruscant Every planet has a Barnsley, all right? Go meet down there near the old market. <laughs> Honestly, that's what it looks like. It, it did look a bit... Um, uh, anyone that lives in the UK will know or know of the UK that um, there are certain buildings, like council offices mainly, um, that were built in the 70s or the 60s, whatever, and they've got just a look and feel about them. And you can tell a mile off that they went to somewhere like that. It was like a you know, like something that was very popular because the, the um, like you said, the pebble dash and the architecture, it, it almost feels like that was out of, that didn't really fit. Um, but then I guess we're kind of rewriting the rules a little bit with how Star Wars is perceived in terms of not everything is bright and shiny. So um, Coruscant that we've seen in the films and everything is just, like you said, very almost futuristic to us, but normal for them. But it's all very much like, curvy glass contemporary you know got the leds on it's all good whereas this just felt like like shit there's like there's there are areas of coruscant that are like yeah sort of 70s barnsley or 70s stevenage whatever and um yeah so that was a surprise to me because i always assumed that it went vertically in terms of class and everything um so as you sort of go down towards the various levels beneath coruscant that's where it got like a bit more ropey and a bit more you know, a bit more Sheffield on a Thursday night. So yeah, it was um, it was weird for them to stay on the surface, but go to somewhere that looked like that. I don't know, but it was yeah, cool though. No. You know, it had a certain feel to it, a good vibe. It definitely felt like just it definitely felt like Barnsley, nineteen you know nineteen eighties <laughs> sort of council oh, officers Barnsley. But yeah. uh, all right, let's let's talk about <laughs> Cyril. What's his name? Cyril Khan, uh, the policeman. You know, the security guy from episodes one through three. I don't want to say he's been sidelined because um, they're yes. clearly doing something with him, <laughs> but it's just taken a lot of time to do anything. You know, he's now he's got this office office job. Um, looks like he's sort of, he's, he's, looks like it's like fuel management or whatever, and he's 
boss seems to share his political standpoint. You know, he, he was very stoic in the way that he said, he basically said, you know, what are you doing here? And he just gave him the, the chapter and verse. Stood up for what I believed in. There's a bad guy did this thing. I did this. And I got punished for it. Basically alluding to the fact that he doesn't think he should have. And he's, you know, the, the new boss just went, right, we can sort that out, get that <laughs> off the record. You know, we'll make sure that's not on the employment record. So, uh, yeah, this Cyril Khan character is now is behind a desk, you know, for, for all intents and purposes. And which way do you think that's going to go? Because it can only go one of two ways, can't it? It can either be for or against Cassian and or Rebellion. It can only be for or against them. Which way is it going to go? Yeah, it would be crap for him to just be on the fence the whole time. Yeah, it seems um, pointless, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've had jobs like that before, mate. I say jobs. I've had two jobs like that before. Absolutely bored out of my mind after an hour of sitting there. So, yeah, I could, I could relate to him. So I think that might be, I think that might be the thing that just makes him lose his rag. He seems like the sort of guy, the sort of character that up to now he's been very, even when he's being shot at and he's being sacked and shouted at and everything, he's just been very um, lethargic almost. You know, he's just, you've, uh, but I get the feeling he's going to snap at some point. Um, so I, I think that's coming. And I also think that he is going to go rebellion. I think it's, I think there'll, there'll come a point where he'll be sick of his mum. He'll be sick of the job. He'll be sick of the, because I think I get the feeling that he's come from the ISB where he was like a big fan of the rule book. And now he's come to this other place where, there's it seems like a lot of monotony and repetitiveness. It's just everybody in the same sort of pod doing the same work. There's nothing really that's challenging him. So I get the feeling that he's probably going to view the rest of his working life, whether that's where he is now or potentially with the empire, whatever it might be. He's going to view that as the same sort of thing. It's like, oh, it's just the same shit. So I have a feeling that something's going to happen. He's going to snap. He's going to go on the run. And then he's going to run into Cassian or some rebels, and then he's going to link up with her, with the rebs, and, and and do that stuff. I just got a feeling that something's like a switch is going to go off. He's going to lose it, and then he's going to be in trouble. But this time, he's not going to be able to go to his mum. He's not going to be bailed out essentially. So he goes on the run, and he hooks up with the rebs. What do you reckon? Yeah, that feels sort of logical, but we always. <laughs> I think as fans, we always go a bit obvious sometimes with stuff like that because it's, you know, the writers are the writers for a reason. They always throw a little bit more curveballs than we generally expect. I'll just go in different directions. So, yeah, that feels logical. Um, part of me just wonders, because of how he is, it makes you wonder whether he's going to discover something in this new role. Like... The data yeah. that he's got at hand is, I think it's to do with fuel. Like it just, is he going to, is he going to discover a pattern of fuel consumption or fuel going missing or something that, that actually bring, cause he's, he, he worked for a local security force. Does this bring him into the empire proper, you know, and is he set up for a, a bit of a rivalry in season two, you know, does it go the, does it go that way instead? Which I, I can't make my mind up which is more obvious. And mm. it feels like they'll do the thing that's the least obvious, if that makes sense. Yeah, Rija. Initially, I thought that 
he some he would happen something would happen within this job like you said that would then elevate him up to something because he's had access to this information and then he becomes like the kind of the nemesis to Cassian like those two would then be you know enemies towards you know towards the end I mean we don't see him in Rogue One so he's clearly not holding any grudges or alive to have any grudges against Cassian in Rogue One so something must happen to him um before that probably yeah you're probably right in season two but yeah I think that's to me that's the obvious one where he has a grudge against Cassian because it was the whole thing for him that got him fired in the first place and all that lot so I think the curveball is to have him join the rebellion but who knows man I don't know you know, uh, it's what if he saying now? What if he turns out and he's he's oh got it, you know, maybe that's <laughs> oh, it. <God. laughs> Here we, Here we, like, we know you don't like Borg. him. Why does he say it like that? <laughs> God and Bennett Forrest Whitaker, I like you, but <laughs> no, no, overacted that bit. Well, look, Andor episode seven, a bit of a mixed bag then. Anything else to add to this episode, dude? Anything? In fact, the visuals were fucking badass. Mm. I'm just going to say that. They're just, it's been brilliant throughout that. I don't think there's, there's nothing that I've spotted that looked out of place or looked like it was dodgy CGI. It's all looked visually great. And this looked brilliant. You know, the Star Destroyer coming in over the forest. It just all looks brilliant, man. It does, yes, and um, it's got that kind of grungy, dirty sort of vibe that we've appreciated, that we were hoping would see, um, that was similar to Rogue One and Solo and stuff, so that's all good. Uh, I just want to mention two very quick things. Um, my score is going to change. I'm going to give it a seven instead of a six and a half, as we've spoken through a couple Upgrade. of bits. Upgrade. Upgraded, yeah. So the first one is I really liked when he was talking to his adopted mum, and she was basically like, look, do what you like. I'm going to fight and, you know, this whole rebellion thing sounds like freaking sweet. So I'm going to do that. So I really like that because they could have written her to just be like, oh yeah, you need to get to safety. Let's go. But she was like, no, I'm staying, you know, I'm going to fight, which is cool. Cause that did bring home a little bit of layer esque kind of thing, a bit of Ray, you know, that kind of, um, and then the second thing, um, it's just overall, uh, like I said at the very beginning, I love witnessing the birth of the rebellion properly because it's been spoken about up to this point, but now the raids happened and the ISB know that like there has been different activity across the different systems and stuff. You can really see it now. All of a sudden, like you said, the switch has gone off, and now everything is moving really quickly. So I just love that, dude. I, I love witnessing that because we haven't seen it before. We've only seen the aftermath of the rebellion and their first missions and, and all the rest of it. So I like it. Seven, dude. Ooh, he's changed his bloody mind. I get that though. It's, it's, I think you need that sort of uh, conversation sometimes to look at some of the context, don't you? It's it's um, it's interesting when you think it in the grand uh, think of it in the grand scheme of Star Wars as well. I do think this will depend on what happens with season two. I think it'll get lauded as one of the best Star Wars pieces of work for a long time. When people look back at it, I think it will date well because there's no there is no big fighting you know there's nothing that's overly cgi that can go wrong as yet um i just feel like it might it might age well as the new canon keeps getting built and built and built i think it just it's got a feeling that it'll be one of those that we look back and we're like yeah yeah that similar to rogue one let's be honest 
you know that's mm. the same thing even though I, I found it a difficult watch the last time I watched it just because it was I suppose the shock and awe wasn't there but it's still up there as the, you know it's a game changing bit of Star Wars Rogue One and I think there's this will probably come together to form a, another part of that story which I think is pretty cool man um, alright yeah, I can see watch parties going on where you watch mm. Andor and then Rogue One straight afterwards and then you're into A New Hope yeah that'd be sick yeah. oh, it makes you wonder doesn't it because they're clearly like you know they're clearly like giving you that bingeability and it's sort of weird because I think we said it last week it's, it obviously is the same universe but it doesn't feel like it exists in, in the same dimension as the Book of Boba Fett and things like that doesn't even feel like it exists in the same world, man. Mm, worlds apart, mate. Barnes in it. Yeah. Yeah. Shot in town. <laughs> uh, good. All right. Let's stick a pin in it. This has been episode 176 of Spark Rebellion. Reviewing Andor episode 7. We'll be back next week with some more reviews for you. We're going to dig into episode eight as we we start to careen towards the back end of the season. I'm starting to see these little three episode arcs, as we mentioned, starting to probably becoming a little bit more prominent. So I reckon we've got another little mini arc and then probably the big crescendo to the end that sets up a season two so I'm excited to see where that goes and thank you to you the ever present listener we appreciate you we'll be back next week with more of the same and if you want to get involved let us know what you thought of this episode at sparkerrebellion.com slash twitter or if you want to chuck us a quid just to say cheers boys we really appreciate the banter and the high quality podcasting you can do that sparkerrebellion.com slash Patreon. I'll be back next week. And Gazla, always a pleasure, sir. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, indeedy. Thank you very much for um, opening up the old brain cells a little bit as we uh, as we spoke around that stuff. You're right. Sometimes you do need to talk it through and uh, and uh, and get some other opinions and stuff. Which I always say about this podcast. It's so important because I can't do this with the fam at home, unfortunately. So yeah, it's down to you, buddy. You're um, you're, you're the one. So. Yeah, as Mark said, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for uh, listening for another episode, dear Star Wars listener. And we'll be back next week to review some more, review some more Andor. So until then, take care of yourselves. May the Force be with you always. <laughs>